Please join me in prayer this morning. Our God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather today in person and virtually. God, we recognize that you are the true Logos, the true source of wisdom. And we come to you today seeking that, knowing that we desperately need it for every day. We pray, God, that you would open our minds and allow us to hear the markers that you have shown us uh, through your word and through our gathering today. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be reading today from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. For learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young. Let the wise also hear and gain in learning, and the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word of the Lord. All right. Well, friends, this morning we're going to kick off um, a new series where we're going to look at a couple of the uh, uh, letters and writings from the New Testament. Today, our first reading is from James, or first second scripture reading is from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting. For one who doubts is like a wave in the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Let us pray. God, may we hear your word as it has been spoken through uh, James and revealed to us in your scriptures. Lord, we pray that you would help us to enter into wisdom. Help us to pull apart all the complexities of our world and mature and grow in our faith and wisdom with you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but your word stands forever. Amen. So, this morning we're kicking off this study in a couple of New Testament books. The next couple of months, we're going to look at the book of James, which I've been very excited to uh, do a sermon series on our church's namesake epistle. I don't think I've really gotten to preach much on James yet in my time here, so I've kind of been waiting for this. I'm excited. It's one of my favorite books from the New Testament. Um, We'll also then move on to a study of the book of Hebrews, uh, another of my favorite New Testament texts. And both of these studies are following along with the lectionary cycle, mostly, and they'll lead us to studying a couple of the most interesting writings of the early church. Now, James is not always the most popular book to study. The book of James was criticized by Martin Luther, who called it the epistle of straw, 
lacking that it, saying that it lacked some of the rich teachings of other parts of the New Testament. The book has a very unique quality to it. But for a moment, I want to step back and have us look at some of the bigger picture of what's going on in the New Testament writings. So bear with me, because this helps us get to where we need to be today. We have to situate the genre of this particular book within all of the other books of the New Testament. The New Testament begins with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these accounts of Jesus' life are told from four different perspectives, with each of them taking on an angle and addressing a specific group of people. Luke, for instance, with its second part, Acts, is an address to Greek Christians and contains a lot of Hellenistic Greek philosophy and intellectual tradition in its stories. We might notice that the book of John, for instance, has a more mystical, spiritual quality to it. This links up with the other writings of John and the style of that heartfelt faith that he bore witness to. Then we move into the New Testament letters. Paul and Peter's writings, in particular, are often focused on theological arguments that need to be addressed, again, to different communities of Christians around the Roman Empire. The Corinthian letters, for instance, were written for a church wrestling with their identity amidst a global cultural center in Corinth. The Colossian church was written with an angle of addressing the Roman cult of worshiping the emperor as the son of God. There are letters like Timothy and Titus that speak more to the individual and particular needs of leaders who are serving in this growing movement of the new church. The struggles and the joys of what it is to be a part of this new thing that God is doing. And while most of the New Testament came, contains letters, it's important that we don't consider or rush and consider each of the texts in that way, in the same way, as these are examples of different writers writing for different purposes. Clearly, if you get as far as the book of the Revelation of John, you see that the New Testament goes into a whole different style as it closes. It starts with some bit of uh, letter-like prose, but then it gives way to this full apocalyptic vision with all kinds of wild beasts and grand unveilings of power in anticipation of Christ's return. So with all of that in mind, I want to go back to the book of James. The book of James is an address to a specific group of people, as verse 1 states in the salutation. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. James, in contrast to the letters to Corinth or to Rome, James is a wisdom teaching text. The same applies to Hebrews. James and Hebrews are writings that are much more in the way of the Old Testament books like Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, wisdom literature that addressed ancient Israel's life together. In the same way, James looks at wisdom through the lens of the modern church, the early church, and it's something of a collection of sayings and teachings that are way less systematic and structured as other New Testament writings, and more a sense of nuance and enigma to it, deconstruction and exploration. So all of this to say, I'm pretty excited about studying the book of James. Now the problem with wisdom literature, though, 
is that we have to read it differently. Wisdom literature often makes very definite statements, like in a couple of weeks we'll hear, faith without works is dead. You know, on the surface, the statement is very clear. You've got to work out your faith in action. But if you reflect on that more, you begin to realize that there's a lot more complexity to what it means to live our faith out in the world than simply action. So with wisdom literature, we have to read what's on the surface, but we also have to dive deeper and explore what might be going on underneath. There is potential for the text to be read more than one way, to find a more nuanced interpretation. And so we sit with it. We let it roll around in our head. We discuss the wisdom sayings. We live into them in order to help them shape and form us in our life of faith. So all of this prologue that I've just given is important. I hope you understand that. It's important because as we read these texts, we have to take the statements and let them rest in our hearts. So I want us in that mindset to hear our, our scripture reading again on faith and wisdom. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, I have to laugh, I love just the strong rhetoric there, double-minded and unstable in every way must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. We're going to have some fun with this text. This morning I want to pull the text apart and focus on two key statements. The first leads nicely into the second. Verses 2 through 4 tell us of the struggle of faith which produces endurance. We are instructed to consider our trials as joy. But what is this about? Joy in the face of struggles leads to endurance? Okay, you may have to convince me of that a little bit more. Well, we've all been enduring quite a bit these last couple of years. We all know that we've collectively continued to endure the COVID-19 pandemic. But also, with that, we've struggled to stay connected with the people we love. We've lost jobs and homes and struggled to stay calm under the stress that is all around us. It's enough to lose faith at least faith in humanity, or our leaders, or society. We have endured a lot. And while I'm so very tired of this endurance that we've had to be working through, I also marvel at what we are learning and deepening in our resolve, determination, and faith. See, this kind of endurance produces a deepened faith, lives that are more tuned more strengthened, more weathered to endure the journey as it goes further. As James says, this kind of endurance will lead to maturity, a fullness of the self, 
which lacks nothing. So we have to ask, how does suffering, having taken so much from us, lead us to having all that we need, lacking nothing? Well, endurance itself produces wisdom. And wisdom recognizes what it truly needs, what is necessary, what matters, and actually what doesn't. So to lack nothing is to have wisdom and the ability to say, all is well with what I have. It is well here. During a long-distance race, runners need to be aided at many points by volunteers who prepare water or a bagel or electrolyte drinks, bananas, other healthy snacks that help bolster the runner's endurance. To run a marathon and not grab water at an aid station is foolish at best and physically dangerous at worst. To endure, we need help. To endure the long road of faith, we also need aid. And that is what James reminds us as we hear his text today of. We have the aid of God's generous, loving, providing hands. We simply need to ask for it. Running by an aid station at mile number 17, you'll hear folks shouting, water, water, water. If you've ever been out on a race course, you'll hear that. There's no doubt in those parched words. There's no going back and forth. If this was the case, like I walked up to the, the aid station and I wasn't sure what I wanted, and I dilly-dallied around and I thought, mm, do I want juice or do I want coffee or do I want another bagel or a chocolate chip cookie? All that dilly-dallying will actually delay my time on the race course and make me go slower. So you have to be decisive. You have to know what you want when you're coming by so that you can grab it. If you don't, it makes you less competitive, slower on the race. So when we lack wisdom, we need aid. We need the help to endure and make sense of the complexities of our lives. We're instructed to ask for it from God boldly. So the first point today, enduring wisdom or enduring str struggles produces wisdom. Wisdom that comes from God's aiding help and providence. We get stronger and can endure through the understanding that wisdom offers. Now let's move to the second part, the more tricky part, the part that might throw us off track. Let's talk about doubt. Doubt. Now I, I wonder, friends, is that a bad word for you when it comes to matters of faith? You don't have to speak up, but I wonder, I wonder at that. In the wisdom teachings that we hear in James, we hear a strong, focused statement on doubt. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. The double-mindedness of doubt is not what gets us further down the road, is it? Well, actually, the way that this text reads is problematic if we simply cut out doubt and stuff it down inside and speak with a clear mind alone. 
The Greek word here for doubt is diakrino, which means to separate one thing from another, to waver or to judge or to distinguish. There's a critical thinking going on in the feel behind and the sense of this word. As we hear it applied, it's the sense that doubt is like a wave that moves this way and that way, changing with the wind. And we are instructed that we must come with faith, not the wavering of doubt as we approach God and ask for help. But, but, the opposite of doubt is not faith. The opposite of doubt is certainty. To have, trouble, to have no trouble distinguishing, determining, or making a critical choice, clear, concise, and certain, it's the person yelling, water, 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 without any question. That's certainty. You see, we're quick to lump faith in with certainty and expect that if we doubt, we are to lose our faith. We read these kind of texts and we immediately push doubt into the negative and faith into the positive. But that's not what's going on here. Faith and doubt are not opposites. They are partners in pursuit of the endurance and wisdom that God provides. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with a friend or a person in the congregation and had folks name their doubt with me. The entertainment of doubt is often something very close to the surface with folks. They, folks will kind of be in this place of, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to believe anymore, and I've been there too. There's often shame that gets associated with that. But again, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is the opposite of certainty. We hold doubts or certainties about many things. They are the opposing forces that invite us to be critical about our world, to question things, to endure and deepen our understanding of God and all creation. So to wrestle with doubt is to wrestle with what we can hold fast to. It is a deepening practice that we will go through and endure and mature in our faith through. It's a process of endurance which we looked at first this morning, and it is made what it is by the testing of our faith. Through testing faith, which can include doubt and certainty, we discover wisdom. Let me say this very plainly, because this can all seem kind of abstract, and I love to work in that realm, but sometimes we need to root it down in where we are. By learning to doubt, we gain wisdom. To doubt is to pursue wisdom. Because wisdom and certainty are not the same. Certainty has no room for nuance, for experience, for the difficulties of a real world. Rather, certainty is rigid. Stills, it's still in the winds of change. But what is rigid often breaks. And see how this is the opposite of doubt? Both don't function well in that tension. So let's bring this home, friends. James is encouraging his readers to endure the trials of the world and in this endurance discover wisdom. How do you go on a long run? Well, you take one step at a time. 
There's wisdom in realizing that you can't just go out and sprint for 26 miles straight. And there are many points along the road that your doubt will creep in, doubting the ability to keep going. I've gone back and forth between doubt and certainty many times on a long run. On one hand, I'll be saying, I'm certain I can do this and I will not die, I get lost out here in the woods. And on the other hand, I'm saying, I don't know if I can possibly make it up this one little hill. Certainty and doubt together. And what is between them is faith. Faith produces the ability to hold doubts and certainties in healthy tension. Faith says, when you're out in the distant run, well, I'm going to try at least. I don't know if I can make it. I've got my certainty and doubt in tension, but I'm going to endure. So friends, again, you don't have to answer this, but do you doubt? And God bless you for that. And do you hold things in certainty? God bless you for that as well. Today, I want us to see that our doubts lead us right into the space to develop faith and wisdom. Doubts will always nag at us, and that's important. We have to let doubt air itself out in order to grow, to mature to make those next steps happen. Many years ago, I discovered that I had a lot of doubts about my Christian journey. I had doubts about who God was, who I was, what the church was supposed to be. I've gone through a process of dismantling a lot of what I thought I was supposed to believe, unpacking what I knew in my heart and what I read in the scriptures. And I've been able to hold fewer and fewer things with deep certainty. And what that has produced in me is not an abandonment of my faith in Christ, but a deepening of it, an enriching of it. Simple answers have given way to a more nuanced way of reflecting upon God's truth. Doubt has led me to a stronger faith. Do you hear that? Not that I've left my doubts behind and found certainty alone, but doubt, and in some measure the certainties I also hold, has led me to faith that can hold the tension of the world. This is the work of wisdom. Back to the promise of this morning's passage. In faith, my friends, we can endure. Through faith, God will lead us and mature us and grow us. And so may we embrace this doubt and certainty and everything in between journey that we are on as it leads us deeper into faith and love in Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to enter into this space of faith, a faith that through enduring produces deep wisdom a way of understanding the tensions of our world for all that they, they are, the complexities that you place in front of us, Lord. And so, Lord, may we accept the doubt that we feel. May we accept the certainties that we wish to hold to. And may we, in the, in the both of those, Lord, may we find your middle way of wisdom 
that is produced through faith. We don't have to have it all wrapped up in certainty and nothing uh, in doubt, Lord. We have to be able to hold them both, and so please guide us towards that today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.